Engage Sessions. The NSR Media Network presents Sessions, bringing you behind the scenes and into the lives of your favorite music artists. And now, here's your host, Barry Davis. And welcome, folks, to another edition of Sessions. Tom Forth with me, as always. And today, well, if you're a romantic, you're going to enjoy this conversation. Well, even if you're not a romantic, if you're a fan of the romantics, they were huge back in the 80s, had some amazing hits, and the songwriter of one of their biggest, What I Like About You, Mike Skill, will join us on the program today. And uh, man, does he have some really cool stories to share. And speaking of cool stories to share, we're going to kick things off this week with an incredible story that you are all going to get a chance to hear and see very soon. There's Tom Forth. I'm Barry Davis. You're listening to Sessions. Go on, Al. What? Did what? Don't interrupt stars when they're recording. We're bloody stars, you know. Come in, cheek. And now your host for this evening, the bottles. Told you was a man. Bit faster, do you think? Bit faster. Well, there you go. Uh, There is a very cool documentary coming out on the Beatles, and that's just a little snippet of it. And, Tom, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, you're going to say, Barry, how many freaking documentaries do we need on the Beatles? In fact, I gave you for Christmas a DVD of a documentary on the Beatles, the one that Ron Howard did. Mm -hmm. Uh, This one, that one was called The Touring Years, okay? And uh, that took us right up to around 1966. This documentary which is going to be released sometime in 2021, has oodles and oodles of footage from what they called the Get Back Sessions, which became the movie Let It Be. And have you seen the movie Let It Be? I haven't, no. Okay, well, it's really just an hour and a half of the Beatles in studio putting together what was supposed to be this, this big album leading up to this live performance. Now, the best part of the Let It Be movie is the live performance on the roof at the end. Mm -hmm. But you get a sense of how nasty things were for the band in this movie. But yet, this footage that we're seeing in the preview of five minutes plus shows these guys having an absolute blast together. Yep. I mean, that tells me that there is a big difference between... Music and the music business. Yeah, and I mean, it tells me that, you know what, it's, it's a, it, that, that constant reminder I think we need nowadays that there's so many sides to these coins, right? It's not just all good or all bad. There's, there's nuances. And I mean, you've been in bands, and you know that, you know, sometimes that, that bad gig just gets put to bed when you're started to write a new song, right? And and music has that way of bringing people together. So maybe that's what, a little bit of what we're see- seeing here too. There is uh, like I, I I thought I had seen everything there possibly could be to see when it comes to to Beatles documentary and, and footage. And in fact, there's a series on YouTube uh, that focuses on the relationship, uh, friendship, and and music relationship between John Lennon and Paul McCartney. And it's like a an eight part thing and each one is like two hours plus and it's not the most uh polished 
production, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the music that you hear has always got this heavy reverb on it, I think, for, for you know copyright reasons. But the thing is, that was some really cool stuff that I'd never seen before, little interview clips and stuff that I'd never heard before. This Let It Be footage, um, there's it, it's not just junk. I mean, I don't know how they're going to get this down to the length yeah. of a movie because you see in the in the little preview on YouTube, there are tons and tons and tons of reels. Yep, like fifty six hours of footage or something like that. So I don't know how that compares to a Lord of the Rings movie. <laughs> well, th- that's true. I'm assuming the special effects in this one aren't going to be, you know, they're not going to be as special as Jackson's last one. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Um, but here's the thing that is, for me, whenever I, I hear of unreleased stuff, uh, I get excited when it's a band that I like, whether it be video footage or, or songs, right? Tom Petty uh, had his Wildflowers album released mm-hmm. again with a whole bunch of other songs that didn't make the album that were going to be on the album. Yeah. So as a fan, it's like, this is just incredible to hear all this new stuff. The problem that we're facing now, Tom, is that uh, for people that are teenagers now, they're never going to understand this because they have everything. There's no such thing as bootlegs anymore. There's no such thing as unreleased stuff because everything gets released somehow. Yeah, but you know what? I think this, I think this, this has the potential to be like for those people that just don't get it, that that aren't living in that world. This is a real. This has a potential to be a real amazing look into a world that doesn't exist anymore, and you know, into that world of bands and of that camaraderie and building tunes. I mean, everybody. It's it's COVID now. We're all we're all doing it in our own basements and sending the stuff you know electronically but just that that preview clip of all of them together and you know let's do this a little faster and and, and that communication and and you know it's something that bands weren't doing enough of even leading up to covid so it it, that's what i'm actually looking forward to seeing is is just being able to see that that nostalgia that the way the world used to be right (laughs) Yeah, and, and Lennon, you know, with that, oh, we're superstars. That's who we are, you know. Yeah. And and that tongue in cheek, and you know, it, it would have been funny if they had used that at the end of Get Back instead of a hopefully possibly audition, right? But yeah. you, you got a chance to see their real personalities too, and because it was kind of a, a candid type of shot like they knew they were being filmed but they weren't following a script they were just being themselves and it was a rare opportunity to see that because even today i mean because of social media you see a lot of celebrities that will just be themselves online and you can watch them but back in Mm -hmm. the day i mean we knew who they were uh, on stage but we didn't know who they were as people you know what i mean and here's a perfect example steven tyler from aerosmith I thought he was just a. I had him pegged as a certain type of person, and then when he was a judge on one of those uh, American Idol or whatever yeah. shows, I'm like, this guy's just like a, you know, nerdy Uncle Steve, right? Well, it's like the Alice Cooper clip in Wayne's World, right? Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Walk okay. Yeah, and the thing is, he really is a genius, Alice yep. Cooper. Well, that's but- the thing, right? Like that, I love the to seeing that because. I think that, yeah, all of us fans, you know, the the fans that are fans of Billie Eilish now or Casey Musgraves, say, right? 
mm-hmm. you want to find out about those girls' lives, like they they show you an awful lot. They're everywhere. Yeah, they, right. But but there's an authenticity that wasn't there before. Sure. And and you know if you were a Beatles fan in the in the '60s or the '70s, you 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 saw the polished image, and this is a look behind that veil. And I, I, it's something I'd love to see. You know what? You brought up Aerosmith. I would love to see something like this. Yeah. About Aerosmith. And and the thing is, that's that's the thing. If you're a fan of older bands, to know that 70, 80, 90, how many, 50 years since 1970, right? Yeah, 50 years. Wow, yeah. That that footage has been sitting there for 50 years. Yep. And it's now just being released. So if you're a fan of, you know, Aerosmith or ACDC or Led Zeppelin, you're thinking, I've probably seen all the footage we're ever going to find of that. You know, like, let's just be thankful that we have what we have. No, no, no. You never know when this is going to happen. Yep. And again, I don't think this won't happen anymore because people are not going to, you know, hold stuff back. Yep. Right. The one sad thing is if you are producing something and you've got to cut it down now at the digital age, when you cut down, a lot of times it's just going delete, delete, delete. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and you're not going to have walls again. full of tapes where you can go back and actually physically do something with them right so yeah there's well, good there's good good and bad yeah it's a double-edged sword right because we've got you know a, an unbelievable amount of content coming out but at the same time yeah you've got an unbelievable amount of content being wasted mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah well this is very true so anyway I, I i look forward to this movie i think if you are uh, a beatles fan it is a must if you're a, a fan of music if you're a fan of you know, phenomenas, which the Beatles were a huge phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, you want to watch this. It, it, it looks like it's going to be very cool. Speaking of cool, uh, in just a moment, we're going to speak with Mike Skill, guitarist, bass player, songwriter from The Romantics. And we will hear the big hit at the end of the show. But right now, this is brand new music from Mike Skill. We got your rock and roll. Just 
There are some new music from Mike Skill. We got your rock and roll, and we've got your Mike Skill with us now here on the line. Uh, you, uh, you're, you're from just outside of uh, Toronto, really, when you think about it, across the border in, in Michigan, right, originally? In Detroit, that's right. Um, I grew up there and uh, uh, in the 60s. All that, that whole rock scene was happening with Dallas Cooper, MC5, and Bob Seger and everybody, Grand Funk. Yeah, I was a kid at that time. And well, you had the festivals, you had the blues festival over in uh, Windsor, Ontario. And we used to go up, we used to drive up to Toronto on the weekends uh, from high school, high school, you know, hang out, go, go shopping, uh, meet girls and uh, come back three days later. You know, looking back at it now, it, it, Motown, I mean, that was an explosion. And, you know, there's, there's rarely been uh, just an explosion of amazing music coming out of a place like that. Um, you know, do you see anything like that? I mean, the, the music industry has changed massively even before COVID, but but even now, is you know, is there anything that you've seen that parallels Motown? Is there is there a group of people out there that's just putting out like just amazing music that they can hopefully, you know, well, start uh, something new? Yeah, I think well, it did happen in the '60s in Detroit. Detroit grew up for rock because from soul bands, uh, musicians were playing soul music mostly, or Elvis or or stuff from the 50s. And then um, you had the soul bands would go up until about 63, four, and then the Beatles, of course, that hit, and then all, all the rock bands started coming out. Well, you know, Mike, it's interesting. You, you mentioned some of those early influences of yours, and I listened to your solo music, and I listened to some of the later romantic stuff, and to me, that that really shows in that music. Is this kind of the time in your life now where you're like, you know, I've done what I had to do for the record companies. I did what I had to do for, you know, the time and the romantics of that day. Now I want to be Mike Skill and I want to put what I am in music. It's, uh, you, you got it, man. You've got it, Barry. It's exactly because uh, I'm not shunning what I did in romantics because that's it's still me, I mean, in there. on it. I just kind of take off and, take, and feel what I've grown up with. And uh, um, and then the melodies start coming in, the lyrics start coming in. It's it's an ongoing thing. It's really a, a nice, it's really a fun thing for me. It's really a, a lot. Thank you for uh, noticing that because that's the way I see it. That's exactly the way I see it. The romantics, I mean, as successful as they were, um, I'm I'm sure at times it could be a little bit constrictive because you need to stay within sort of the realm. Was there like a freeing aspect? You released a few tunes in 2018, and then. Once COVID hit, it seems we've we've been getting some pretty consistent material out of you. Has it been a freeing process to not have to worry about, you know, fitting into that romantics mold? Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, all the guitar parts, all those little hooks and all those that's my stuff I did in romantics. I just take it to the next level. I just start to get in terms of needs and uh, kind of open up. I don't have to. Um, I felt. This might not be the right way to describe it, but it's like almost I had to fit into a, okay, here's a pop song and I, I need a pop solo and it's got to sound, it's kind of like this is for romantics. Now I could just go, man, I like that cream, that cream tone Clapton got, or I like the George Harrison tone that George got, and I could do that and go, out, go off on it. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we had Kathy Valentine of the Go-Go's on the show and she was a guitarist originally switched to bass when she was in the Go-Go's. Now, you were the guitarist originally in the Romantics and then left the band, you yep. came back, and then you're the bass player. 
what what is that like? I, you know, I talk to Tom about this all the time because Tom started as as a guitarist and then moved to bass, and now he loves playing bass. It's just like it, it's a thing for him. For you during that day, did it make a difference whether you're playing guitar or bass, or what was that feeling like? Um, well, uh, I started on guitar. I taught myself guitar one summer. Came home. Uh, I, had, I had a real crappy guitar. I set it down in around in the mid '60s. And I set it down, I couldn't play it. It was, the string was so high off the neck. And uh, my brother had a cheap guitar. I started playing on that, but then my mom bought me for my birthday a, a new a Gibson uh, single cutaway guitar, like it was $125 or something, which was, I don't know what that's equivalent now, but- uh, A lot not more than that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, Quite think, a bit more uh, than that. <laughs> uh, I got that, then I really got into it. When school let out in June, from June to September, I taught myself all the chords I could teach myself. You know, all the uh, listening to the Shadows of Night, Gloria, to listen to the Seeds, listening to uh, Incense of Peppermints from uh, Strawberry Alarm Clock, all the Yardbird stuff. I'd be playing in my back room upstairs, uh, 11.30 at night, I'd start playing and I'd be playing till two in the morning, teaching myself guitar. And uh, I worked with, I had a little band. Um, uh, my first band was the High Tide kind of coming from Rolling Stones, High Tide and Green Grass record. Mm. Uh, uh, we played a few dances. We played the uh, St. Andrew's Church uh, dances. And um, then I discovered bass. Oh, oh there's a bass. Okay. Uh, <laughs> or just before that. But uh, um, so I got into bass. I learned the basics. And um, Sergeant Pepper came out. Uh, I got a pretty, a pretty good bass. And I learned all the bass lines on wow. Sergeant Pepper. So when you're a guitar player, or a piano player and you play bass, you tend to be more melodic, I think. Melodic on the mm -hmm. lines, bass lines. Because you know, being from Detroit, I knew James Jamerson before he's widely known now. I mean, I knew about him like in 65 uh, as a kid. And uh, James, oh wow, who's playing bass on that Motown stuff? James Jamerson. And so I always loved James Jamerson from the beginning. If I were to put you on the spot right now, I'm gonna ask you a question that I can't answer. You know, it's very open by saying, I started on the guitar and then I, and then, I myself, I went to play in my first high school band, and, and there were three of them that had guitars, and I was the worst one. And so they, my, the guys looked at me and said, why don't you try playing bass? And I started playing bass, and I loved it. And I didn't look back at all for about 30 years. And I played both all the time, but I would always describe myself as a bass player first. And it really isn't until the last year where now I don't know what I am anymore. I like to kind of think of myself as a musician. Yeah. But if I were to put you sort of on the spotlight there and say, if you had to describe yourself, are you, are you a guitarist, are you a singer, are you a bass player, or, or are you a musician? I was thinking about that today. I'm going, I guess, I, I guess I'm a songwriter, but I, I never really say that to myself. I don't want to jinx myself too much. You know, it's no. interesting. Because of the internet and because so many things are out right now, we can hear some of the first songs that Lennon and McCartney ever wrote together as teenagers. And, you know, they labeled them as crap. And we listen to them now and, you know, bootlegs or whatever and go, wow, I mean, these guys had it back then. Do you recall when you first start writing songs and do you still remember any of the first ones you wrote or are they completely out of your mind now? I have a, I have a couple of them that I did when I was like 14 or 15 that I'm, I'm actually going to finish up and no keep way. it as simple as I did and keep it as simple as I did. So simple. I'm gonna take that and go. So that's a basic thing, but that's what I do. I mean, I'll take a basic, simple idea and build on it from there. I'll take that from there. Then I'll add chords in a higher register. Melodies come out. 
that could be a, that straight right there is almost I could do it like a, almost like a garage rock thing with a, and then come up with a blues thing with it. There's a lot of ways to go. I hear a harp in it. I hear tremolo, tremolo guitar on it. Uh, it can be the simplest thing, just two chords. I like to I like to work with that. I always like to work with choruses that people are going to remember. With romantics, we always wrote songs that we wanted the the groove to be right, the right dance or groove or energy or high energy, uh, hard edge. Uh, but it always had to have that. Uh, it always had to have that uh, melody, the melody and the chorus. Getting back to the process, uh, were you ever one that would? you know, have a song idea in your sleep or be in the middle of, of eating a meal and something comes to your mind and you had to write it down? Or were you simply, you know, got into, okay, I'm going to write a song today, just sit down and start writing? Yeah, I could, I could, I could just come up with something right now, but it's not going to be, it might not be very good because it's, you're, you're just going, I know all the tricks, you know, but I try to stay away from that. Try to stay away, okay, the key, the beat, the groove, I could just come up with something, but, um, I try to stay away from that. I like more where it comes from. It surprises me. Where it mm -hmm. surprises me. I try to get it where it's uh, spontaneous. Well, spontaneous. I mean, you're you're probably your your biggest hit. Uh, what I like about you, your big, you know, your biggest hit with the Romantics. Do you remember the process? Can you take us through? You know, since you've got your guitar there, like the genesis of how that came to you. Yeah, the Romantics have been around, and we were on the road a couple of years, uh, maybe a year and a half, and. Um, so I'm still through a work coming up with a really simple straight ahead record songs and I always like Gloria, Louie Louie and all the uh, early Van Morrison them stuff, really simple straight ahead guitar, you know, and uh, so I had my acoustic guitar I was at my dad's house uh, summer or fall, I think it was fall, a nice day and uh, one of the nice fall days and I was outside I, and I came I just had that. Just that straight thing. The other part came later because I needed a hook. I needed a hook to start the song off. So I got the chords and I was starting to go, you know, all that stuff. When you're in a band like that, and, you know, I, I love how that, that story rolls out and you, you show up at the rehearsal place and, and you start playing with the drummer and you say, like, the drummer brings out something different in the song. Yeah. And we, we've talked to a number of different artists and, you know, you've got solo artists and you've got bands and the, the ones that are really, really special, when they talk about the band, they, they tend to talk about stuff like that. Like if you're describing the romantics, is there that intrinsic sort of specialness that's only there when you guys are together? Yeah, we're all on the same wavelength. That's the thing. Everything that going, was going on around us, um, radio, uh, FM radio was getting, uh, was getting kind of mundane. You'd hear Kansas, you'd hear Sticks, you'd hear uh, Led Zeppelin. We loved, we grew up on Led Zeppelin. We didn't want to hear it every 20 minutes and the same song every 20 minutes, but uh, you wouldn't even hear the good songs. You'd hear what, I mean, the, the deeper catalog stuff. But we were in our, our own little bubble. We're, we were seeing what's going on in England. The punk, the punk shit's happening, the punk stuff's happening. And then uh, we had our high energy stuff from Detroit. And then you had the, the, the the, the groove that was happening in New York with Blondie, the Ramones were just coming out or had been out for a little bit. Um, California was bubbling up with uh, their LA punk sound. We were all into like the, the, the new, um, the new hop stuff that was coming out. Flaming Groovies had just brought their album out. The Shake Some Action uh, record had just come out. Uh, 
the jam came out. Those two that were the ones that were more in my vein of the kinks, the who yardbirds stuff. And then I loved like the energy of Sex Pistols, the Ramones and the Clash, you know? So I liked, I had that, that angsty thing from the, cause the MC5 were like that. MC5 were like, come on, we're gonna kick some ass. And then mm-hmm. that's what like the, the punk thing happened. So it, we were dragged in with this whole thing, but our bubble was, uh, the look, first we knew what the look was going to be, kind of like Kinks, kind of like Beatles, kind of like modern new wave. And then uh, the same with the sound. No one was really doing these songs that were two minutes, 45 seconds. That was coming back in the groove. Um, three minute songs, straight ahead, three chords. We were in our own like little bubble. So we, that we had this power, this energy. So when I played a certain thing, the other guys would know kind of what to do. Uh, Either I would go do this, I, I would go, here's the guitar part, here's the melody I'm thinking about, what about uh, like, a, like a Holly song? Or like, what about, this one's kind of like, uh, you know, that's kind of thing how you do, you kind of like go, you, you, light a, you light a fire, and then they go, okay, and then they take off from there. Or, you know, that, and that's a lot, a lot how it worked. I mean, I would come up with stuff and bring it in. I, the first tape I brought out, a cassette with like uh, four or five songs on it, and two or three little songs uh, ended up on, first and second album well that's the the thing you know you had you had a lot of success you know with with the first album and what i like about you uh did really well but it wasn't until this thing came out here and uh speaking of the beatles i love the kind of let it be ish kind of look of the album cover maybe you can get into the the reasoning behind the album cover but this thing was huge and this was for me personally and i still have the vinyl here uh when i heard talking in your sleep that was my introduction to the band yeah. And then I bought the album, and I, and I loved I loved every track on it. I mean, Rock You Up was one of my favorites uh, on the album as well, but it was a different sound. And and like a lot of bands, like the Beatles or David Bowie, they don't stay the same. And I think we talked about this maybe on New Year's Eve, but was that a conscious thing to, to change the sound, oh. or were you caught in, the, in just the fact that, okay, now we're in the 80s, we're, you know, 84 or whatever, maybe we need to be a little different? Yeah, it wasn't so much uh, like talked about. Um, I came, I was out of the band for a year. I did, did the two first two records. Yeah, I was out after the second record because I had that punk attitude and I didn't want to toe the line certain ways. And I created a lot of static. So they you kicked know, you I, out. I at, yeah, I was, I was, I was fired. I, I caused too much. Uh, man, I don't want to do that. I want. I'm not going to wear. I'm not going to wear. Uh, pink leather, or I'm not going to go again. We just did that on the last record. Let's do something else. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's kind of play with it, you know, or uh, to the managers, I'd be complaining about pay or royalties, you know, royalties, where, where's, how come we're not getting this? We're not getting that. And they, so that those two things clashed, came together. That was me. I was gone. Who was the one who, who delivered the news to you? Who told you? Was it the manager or did the guys actually have? Well, we go to Australia, come back, and I'm fired right after that because I started some, uh, started some, punkish attitude and rebel rebel with the cause stuff and uh, <laughs> but i basically started a band with jimmy the marinos uh we put together with uh and found wally and uh he brought rich in and uh so i think there was a lot of pressure i did the show in australia and i wasn't really um well rehearsed enough on the on the music and i played kind of eh, not the greatest and uh so we were having some tough talks about that and um I think it was just the new record, pressure of the record, a tour right away, and then uh, and, and not you know not uh, sitting back, looking at the situation, management saying, look, here's what we could do, 
they just said, you got to go and do a new record, you know, and it, and it really, I think it really jarred the band and, uh, and, um, and I came back in, uh, they asked me back in, uh, the record company said either get a uh, skill back or uh, we're going to bring in a songwriter to write songs for you wow. or, the, or the record, or you're, we're going to, we're going to pull the band from the label. So uh, uh, we had all this energy on the first two records, all this raw rock energy. And then uh, I'm home for that year and a half. And this whole scene from uh, Nick Lowe, uh, Spando Ballet, Duran Duran, uh, uh, Black Coffee and Bed, Squeeze. Uh, what's the other one? Um, split Ends. Squeeze, XTC. XTC. Split yeah. Ends. Yeah. So you see where I'm going? Yeah, the new the wave sound. Stuff, the punk stuff was happening. Then it started getting into songs. They were a little more developed. You know, the the uh, face to face, uh, all those bands, all those bands coming out of England, very the polished. New, new romance. Yeah. I was listening to a lot of those bands uh, uh, at the clubs in Detroit when I was home. I was going to the clubs. I had a new. I actually had a band started up uh, that was along those lines, and um, and then they called me and uh, um, I was going to play bass, be a songwriter, and play some guitar. I didn't care that my, I didn't mind that. Put me back to work. And I brought that whole, uh, that new romantics thing kind of thing. And that's why it's a little glit more a glossier of a record. It's got that more of that, that uh, rock, uh, clubby dance rock feel to it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and you know, in the beginning days of the romantics, before we did the romantics, Jimmy and I, we were really into, um, we'd go to our studio with a rehearsal studio and we'd blast like uh, Roxy Music and Lou Reed and all that stuff. So we were really into Lou Reed and Brian Ferry and all that stuff, Eno and Bowie and Mata Hoople. So that was before Romantic. So, so uh, anyway, so that's how that that vibe like kind of was natural for us. It's, they did oh they did a record without me by the way in between. In yeah. <laughs> so they brought out the record with the pink suits and all that. It didn't do much. Uh, didn't do anything. And uh, so I came back and I had told them showed them these. Funny enough. They had a song uh, for Rock You Up. They had a... And I had a song. Something like that, one way, other way or the other. And they, they had that. Yeah. So we were still on like the same wavelength. Close, uh, yeah. So Rock You Up came out of something I had and they had. Uh, I, I did all the changes. Change. This is my... You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then while we're on this topic, another song which which I really really dig it, and especially the breakdown in it is uh, one in a million. Oh, yeah. You know, do 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 do. Where did that come from? Because that's a you know you could totally hear an influence in that too. Um, that was we were at a party, a, a band party. We're just uh, met, a meeting, and then we were hanging out uh, after the party. Uh, not even a party. It became a drinking party, whatever. But uh, I I, in my head, I'm going. The chords to the verse, the chords to the verse in my head. And I wrote them down what I thought they were and took it and we developed it later on. But um, what about that bridge? The bridge is, is really neat in that song. That part? No, that were it almost you, you can almost you hear steel drums in it. Rock, rock you up. No, in uh, one in a million, one in a million. Yeah, that's uh, uh do, oh. do 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 do. That's it. 
<laughs> yeah, that's all we, we need. Uh, that was kind of uh, thrown around by, uh, you know, you're in the studio and you need to depart. So everybody's going, how about this? How about yeah. that? And then you end up combining, <laughs> a little, you combine a little bit of everybody's. So that was, that was, that's how that came about. The the break breaks there were probably the band da, da, with Jimmy with his da, 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 da. Mike as much as the, you know the music side of it was was such a wonderful experience the business side really sucked at times for you guys yeah. um and, and any lessons that maybe young bands can learn. Um, from what bands that you guys went through, and so many bands from the from the seventies and eighties went through so much crap. Yeah, with a little tongue in cheek, but with a real, little reality, uh, bands get your own accountant and have the money go through your accountant, and then pay the managers. Don't let the ma management take the money and put it in their account and then pay you. Real simple. <laughs> and then, yeah, that's from the shows live, and uh, yeah, your royalties go into one account and or you're directly to you, but, and uh, have your own attorney, always have an attorney look at your stuff. And, <laughs> and even though those guys were our friends, uh, both times, both managers, uh, even though you're your friends, uh, they're gonna, they're gonna, some not, no, you can't say this all the time, but they'll go, you gotta sign that paperwork. You gotta sign it. I've got that paperwork for you to sign. You'll come to rehearsal. Your rehearsal. You're rehearsing with your band. Hey, you guys. You guys gotta sign that paperwork. So, yeah. Then they won't talk about it. Then they'll come back another time. You gotta get that paperwork. Then you're at. You're with them hanging out at the, the office or something. Then they they'll go here. That paperwork I've been talking about. You gotta sign it right now. I've been bugging you about it. Okay. And then you're. It's like five at night or you know that kind of thing, but. Those kind of things happen. That's just one way. Is it? Uh, is it a different game nowadays? I don't want to. You can only blame yourself. You know, you can only blame yourself. <laughs> and you don't take care of yourself. So, I blame myself as well. Anyway, yeah. is it? Is it a different game nowadays with the roles of people like that, of managers, of publicists? It seems now that artists are kind of really left on their own. Uh, in a lot, like in terms of labels doing stuff for the managers doing stuff for them. It seems that the artists are kind of forced to be a lot more self-sufficient nowadays than they were maybe back in the 80s. Uh, do you see that? And, and if so, is it is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Or uh, Well, from my experience in history, uh, it's a collision course because you really need someone that can uh, explain what's in the, those words and in, in, in that because you can get tied up into stuff. I mean, it's 360... Uh, deals they were doing for a while where they get everything they get everything piece of everything from merchandise to everything for a record deal uh, luckily i'm doing uh i'm doing stuff that's putting it out on my own and uh and distributing it and uh you know who knows i may hook up with uh, uh i've had offers already uh from independent labels but right now i can keep track of what's coming in and going out and i'm really on a, on a move right now it's just really building my my name up and what I'm doing, where I'm coming coming from, and uh, and it's not so much testing the waters. I, I've done that for years already. I mean, with the band, I've been doing it with romance for so long. I'm confident with the music that I have, and um, now it's just me getting on with like you guys and just talking about what I went through and what I'm doing now and and the stuff to come. And it's uh, it's really just life and music and uh, and creativity and. Uh, um, enjoying enjoying other other music that's coming out and, and putting it out there 
and stuff that I'm coming up with. And I'll put it out there any way I can and, uh, you know, push it. In, in your wildest dreams, Mike, did you ever think that, you know, when you wrote a song like What I Like About You, 40 years later, people are still wanting to hear it. It's still being played on the radio. I mean, this is amazing yeah, not, what, what a good song can do. Not, not in your life. I wouldn't, I never predicted that. It, it was, we played it for, uh, we played it live before we recorded it. We never thought it was anything that special, but it, it came out at the right time. Um, and it was a groundswell of, um, of a build, a build for it, because it wasn't like, we didn't get these big spreads and, uh, the knack got get the knack and my Sharona and it was like mm -hmm. millions of dollars in, in Billboard. All the newspapers. I, I don't want to pick on them, but I mean they had a lot of money behind them. We were we were on a um, we were on an independent of an independent of an independent of a major label. Uh, we, it was it was it was in the top ten in Australia. I think it went to number one eventually. We got the gold record there, and uh, came back. Um, I'm not sure if we did it before or after. We, we must have did it before. We played the uh, Whiskey Gogo before and did the video with two, with one camera with two guys from Holland. These guys called us up and they called us up and said, what do I like about you is taking off in, Europe, in uh, Holland, France, and Germany? So that we're coming over, we want to do a video because they were still doing videos. This is before um, MTV. Uh, and in Europe, in England, they were still doing videos. You know, they'd have uh, dance shows on TV uh, I can't think of the name show get ready steady go I think was still on mm -hmm. uh, and they'd have who would send in videos and, and who would show up and they'd mime to their videos or they wouldn't they just have a video and so uh, they told us they'd meet us at the whiskey go go we were playing the whiskey go go the next that, that night they came and shot us at soundcheck uh, I wanted it to look like uh, kind of have the vibe of hard day's night close up on the face real big and then far away, the guitars, and then them way far away. They did it in three takes, I think, or four takes, something like that. And that was the video. They spliced it together, went back to Holland. We went to Australia, and the whole thing was taken off uh, over there. Then we heard, then next thing you know, MTV's coming. The next year, right up, maybe six months later, MTV started. So it got on MTV. So that kicked it in the butt there, kicked it in the ass. And... Uh, and then Bud Light came along. The managers came up to us and said, Bud Light wants to use the song. Is that all right with you? Uh, didn't say how much or what it was, but uh, uh, we were in on the negotiation. And uh, and uh, we said, yeah, um, we were always into like Yardbirds, the Who. Uh, they always had uh, commercials on in Europe. In Europe they had uh, cologne commercials, perfume commercials, milkshake commercial, whatever. They, they, they would do, uh, they would do like... Uh, over under sideways or down, they'd sing about uh, uh, great shakes, whatever it is, a shake, milkshake thing. But uh, so we said, sure. So the next thing you have a commercial on Bud, Bud Light commercial, what I like about you. Um, and then it was a, like a, gr a groundswell. It got in the movies and TV and uh, and then we're playing live. So that took it started taking off. Like it, wow. it just happened like, kind of organically and, and it never, mm -hmm. it never went to number one. I would, so, so no, what I like about you was number one, right? No, it was in the top 100, but the top 75, but um, so it's really been its own, it had its own life, but you have to remember when it came out, when it came out, when we came out, uh, you had uh staying alive was real big, right? Staying alive mm -hmm. with uh, the disco. John Travolta. And, uh, yeah. Yep. The Bee Gees. Bee Gees uh, <laughs> The anti-BGs. Uh, <laughs> I like the original BGs. They were great, but these were the 
whatever yes. you call it. Uh, yes, the, the 60s Bee Gees were great. Yeah, you have the one Superman and the other Superman. That's, that's right, that's right. <laughs> right. So, hey, uh, hey, Mike, anyway, before, we, uh, before we wrap up, uh, I know since COVID you haven't been able to do it, but uh, for the last several years you've had a chance to be a part of these, these 80s festivals with so many bands that maybe back in the day you didn't get a chance to know them as well because maybe you would pass them in and out of a city or you were battling against them to to have a better hit or whatever but now you guys are all just one big family uh what is that like to be a part of this this group of musicians that are you know still doing music today uh well I'm, we're, you're, we're lucky that we had a couple of hits or a couple of songs that are still viable and still i think it was a great area era because uh it came back to melodies and beats and good grooves and uh, good production at the time in the eighties. Uh, There's a lot of bands that didn't make, that didn't get the accolades and didn't get signed. There's, there's a ton of bands at that, at that era, new wave era, really good uh, that were passed over. But uh, um, that era had a good, a good number of songs, a good number of groups coming out of England. Uh, New York and LA and uh, you know with Blondie and uh, Ramones and uh, you name it and uh, it, uh, we were trying to get back to I think consciously we were trying to get back to that because you had all that in the 60s and we were really influenced by the 60s in that way of shorter songs with melodies and hooks and you know radio music um, and so uh, we're really lucky that we had a few songs and can keep, and can keep going on I'm really lucky that 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 way well listen uh it's been great uh you know reminiscing with you it's great to have a chance to chat with you uh both fans of everything that you've been doing both with the romantics and in solo keep rocking man thanks for doing this today thanks a lot i really appreciate it i'm excited you can tell i'll be on uh, (laughs) we got your rock and roll baby
Hey! Boy, I tell you what, Tom. Sometimes it's it's a chorus. Sometimes it's a riff. Sometimes it's a word. And to me, there are a lot of really cool things in that song, but everyone remembers, hey. <laughs> the, right? the simplest little thing, eh? And, yep. and yeah, that's music at its finest, isn't it? Right? Yeah. And, and it's, uh, like you said, real hard to believe that it uh, has been that long and, and, and people are still listening to this song. People are playing it at, at, at sporting venues back, back in the old days when they used to do sports, right? Yeah, exactly. But uh, this is a song that's that's not going away anytime soon. So kudos to, you know, to Mike for writing such a phenomenal song. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's one of those. It's surreal talking to talking to to an artist like that who has created so many memorable tunes, and, and and like that one in particular is the soundtrack to how many people's summers and lives. And and that is like that's one of those tunes that comes on. I think of a baseball stadium. Uh, I'm at the dome when I yeah. hear. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So we want to send a very big thank you to Mike Skill for joining us, and uh, go to Mike Skill's website, mikeskill.com, uh, iTunes, Spotify. Uh, pick up his new music. We got your rock and roll. Great song from Mike Skill. Hey, Thomas. I say, hey, Thomas. Hey, Barry. <laughs> uh, do you know we know who our next week's guest is going to be? I know. Should we tell people? I think we shall. We're going to talk to another great singer-songwriter. Yeah, another another huge name in Canadian music. I cannot wait. Uh, actually, the last artist that I saw perform. There you go. Gord <laughs> Depp. I actually saw him perform on New Year's Eve. And we'll talk about that when Gord Depp joins us on next week's show. So, for Tom Forth, I'm Barry Davis. This is Sessions. That's all the time we have for today's show. Until next time, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars.